This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And this morning we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, mate? I think London's the best place to be today when there's so much news going on. We've already had today the latest GDP figures for August, the UK economy shrinking unexpectedly by 0.3%. And all of this was on the back of this news that the Bank of England yesterday warned its emergency bond buying intervention will end on Friday. We'll talk more about that in a moment because there's some doubt as to whether that really is true at the uh, at the moment. But let's first concentrate, Craig, on those latest GDP figures, which were disappointing and unexpectedly shrinking. And the question is, I suppose, are we now in recession? I think you're one of the few people in this country that are saying London is the place to be right now, to be quite honest, especially when you're then asking me whether we're already in recession. And the answer to that is yes, we probably are in recession. But I mean, I think most people would agree at this point that we're in recession, uh, that Europe's in recession as a whole and the US is almost in recession, which is kind of waiting for the data to back that up. This morning's GDP number for August, so this was a monthly reading rather than a quarterly reading, showed a contraction of minus 0.3%, largely driven, interestingly, by manufacturing, which slumped by 1.8%, meaning that production was down 1.6% in the quarter. So that was the biggest contributor to the decline that we saw in GDP in August. Uh, but also services slipped by 0.1%. And more importantly and more starkly, the consumer-facing uh, services fell by 1.8% in August. Now, that's a sign of things to come, isn't it? The cost of living squeeze, higher energy prices, even if we escape the 80% surge in October, and the, like I said, the broader cost of living crisis is going to take hold and is going to have an impact ultimately on consumer appetite and consumer spending. And we can see that already filtering through in those August numbers. So uh, a really weak number. Uh, as we move into the end of uh, that particular quarter. It does look now that Q3 is going to be a negative quarter of growth, which could potentially therefore lead us in recession if we do see another negative reading in Q4. Worth noting that Q2 was revised out of negative territory. So yeah, all in all, uh, not a great number this morning. Kind of epitomizes the situation we have right now. Uh, and um, I think things are going to become more turbulent between now and the Halloween budget. Is that what we're now calling it, the Halloween spooky budget? I mean, it's a PR disaster, isn't it? They've really written the headlines for themselves that day. Horror show, spook fest, whatever you want to call it. It's um, These are all going to come out later on this month. Uh, you can be in no doubt, especially if the budget itself turns out to be uh, as I've just indicated, potentially that kind of horror show that causes turbulence in the markets and um, undermines any confidence that remains in the government. Bit of a confusing mixed message, though, today, because the pound fell after the Bank of England have said it would uh, not extend its uh, bond buying scheme, but then rose again. So I don't quite understand what's happening. So that was effectively reports in the FT that despite the fact that the Bank of England had come out saying it's not extending its bond buying programme until Friday and that pension funds effectively have three more days in order to clear that clear everything up, uh, that privately they were saying that that can be extended beyond Friday if need be. I don't know why people find this so surprising, to be honest, because clearly the Bank of England wants to wrap this up on Friday and replace it with other supportive measures in order to ensure that there's ample liquidity in the markets and that we're not going to see another kind of death spiral in the uh, in the UK bond markets. But at the same time, it doesn't want to 
necessarily continue with this particular package because at the same time as wanting to begin quantitative tightening and raising interest rates you're also buying bonds which seems very counterintuitive and it doesn't want to send the wrong message to the markets and also use these kind of counterproductive measures but at the same time it's not going to let anything terrible happen so what they're effectively saying is we want to end this on friday but if need be, we will step in again. What they effectively need to do is tie themselves over till the end of the month in order to allow the government an opportunity to restore confidence in the markets so that the Bank of England emergency measures aren't warranted. But it just doesn't want to do that for a prolonged period of time. And as I've already alluded to, send the wrong message. So these kind of mixed messages that we're starting to see appear right now are having a dampening effect. I think the FT report this morning helped to boost sterling again because it kind of alleviated some of those concerns. The GDP data was maybe brushed to one side because, as I say, we all kind of know we're in recession already. And now, literally, just as we've started recording on the Squawk feed, I can see a, a note from Politico that suggests we could be seeing more U-turns to come from the trust uh, government, from the mini-budget with a uh, potential of deferring of tax cuts, maybe a further windfall tax, uh, a huge U-turn if true. I mean, let's face it, this basically is suggesting that almost everything announced in the mini-budget beside the uh, energy support measures is going to be deferred or completely U-turned on. That would be a really humiliating step down, but it would certainly uh, help to stabilise the markets. Yes, humiliating, but nonetheless absolutely necessary even at the political cost that will happen and that one wonders whether the chancellor can survive that probably liz truss uh, will but uh, it just shows you how powerful the markets really are it doesn't matter what the general public think the electorate or the labor party opposition it's what the markets dictate the, the problem is though craig even if they do reverse almost all those um, mini budget uh, policies the damage is almost done Absolutely. I mean, you, we say people like to think that the markets aren't that important. They aren't that powerful. But ultimately, if you're a country that's borrowing money uh, into the tens of billions of pounds and you are asking someone to loan you that money, then the market is what sets the interest rate because the market what sets the rate at which people are interested in lending the, the UK government that money. And obviously, I don't mean people door to door, but uh, in terms of funds and other investors. So the market is extremely important because it's those rates that then determine what people can borrow at day to day door-to-door, -door, what mortgage rates are set, what business rates are set. All of these things are determined ultimately by where UK government yields go, which is determined uh, by the markets. And if markets are unhappy and then households are unhappy and businesses are unhappy, then MPs will inevitably become unhappy because they want to be re-elected. And that's where the pressure mounts on the government. And that's exactly the process which we've seen unfold now over the past couple of weeks. And while the Chancellor and the Prime Minister consistently sought to try and tell everyone that this is a fantastic budget and this is the right budget for the UK and that we can effectively ignore what's happening elsewhere, if we do see these humiliating U-turns, then it's hard to see a way back for the Chancellor, as you say, but the damage really is done as far as uh, Liz Truss is concerned. The only thing she has going in her favour is she's only been in power a matter of weeks and there's only two years left to go to an election and really what the UK doesn't need right now is another leadership race. That's probably the only things that are ultimately saving her in this really disastrous political uh, situation. But... I'll come back to from a markets perspective, from a household perspective, from a business perspective, from an economy perspective, this could potentially be the best outcome because trying to find those kind of savings from just cuts to departmental spending, some of the analysis which we've seen in recent days from bodies like the IFS about how these savings could potentially be found, it's far from easy. A lot of the low-hanging fruit was picked 
under the George Osborne and David Cameron uh, time when we saw enormous austerity. So just trying to save 15%, for example, from non-HS and non-defence spending budget is not an easy ask. Uh, and that only really foots some of the bills. So it's hard to see how they're going to come up with a budget in just under three weeks' time that doesn't require either enormous unsustainable spending cuts or massive borrowing, which is going to destabilise the markets, or U-turns. Um, now, they may prove us wrong, but based on these rumours that have circulated this morning uh, from Politico, it suggests that the, uh, the latter is what they're going to opt for. And it is difficult to see how the Chancellor can survive. Somebody will have to go. Let's not forget that he declined to say whether benefits will be increased in line with inflation rather than uh, average uh, earnings. That's another thing that it looks like there could be, well, not a U-turn because it wasn't necessarily going to, to happen or not, but it's something that is under pressure from the conservative backbenchers and MPs and, of course, the opposition as well. He'd have to find the money from there as well. Forget about whether or not he's going to have to cut elsewhere. He's actually going to have to find the money. for. I mean, it's an, and it's an expensive thing to do. One wonders whether it can survive. I know you're saying that in an election, nobody wants an election, nobody wants a, 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 another leadership election, but we have lived through extraordinary times over the last few years, Craig. The number of conversations we've had where the word unprecedented has been used, and again, it is happening. It is. And just for a bit of context in this, this news broke 20 minutes ago. And since then, the pound against the dollar has rallied from 109.80 to 110.50. So that's about 0.75%, which in FX market terms is a very significant move. And uh, the 10-year uh, government bond yield has moved up. And so the markets are clearly uh, welcoming uh, this speculation, whether it turns out to be true or not. Only time will tell. Finally, Craig, we've seen an interest rate rise from the Bank of Korea. Yes, yeah, so they raised interest rates by 0.5%, which was in line with expectations, taking the base rate to 3%. But interestingly, they signalled that the terminal rate will look now to be around 3.5%. So more rate hikes to come, potentially either a couple of 25 basis points or maybe 150 basis points. But it seems that we are now nearing the end game uh, as far as the Bank of Korea is concerned. The significance of that really is the fact that the RBA a couple of weeks ago slowed the pace of its tightening uh, to, from 0.5% each meeting to 0.25%. Now you've got the Bank of Korea signalling the potential end game here, really just alluding to the fact that the only reason it's reacting at this point is because the one is so weak and because of external financial pressures like with the Federal Reserve tightening cycle and like with the UK, which they alluded to as well, which is interesting. Still tightening, but uh, it seems that they're signalling a slower pace. And going into the end of the year, I think we'll see more and more central banks start to allude to that. I think we're nearing the end game, not too far away now for the Federal Reserve. Even the Bank of England, we're going to see, I think, two significant rate hikes uh, in November and December, taking the uh, base rate above 4%, maybe 4.25%. And at that point, I don't think we're going to be too far away from the terminal rate as well, the ECB very much the same. So it's going to be interesting to see how markets react because it feels like this phase is the tightening cycle with all the uncertainty and the next phase is the economic repercussions of said tightening cycle, the war in Ukraine and the post-pandemic uh, aftermath. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the markets respond once it seems that we are nearing or at the end game of the tightening and inflation cycle. Tell me about the day ahead. What should we look out for? 
Well, I think the key thing now is going to be the Fed minutes later on this evening. To a certain extent, they're outdated and the inflation data tomorrow is going to be far more interesting and far more impactful on the markets. But seeing what policymakers are saying, trying to get an idea of whether we are starting to already see signs that certain policymakers are prepared to start easing off the break, I think is going to be crucial. If we do see any indication of that, again, it'll be really interesting to see how the markets respond because they have responded very positively recently to any indication that we could be starting to near the end of the tightening cycle. So that's going to be the core focus now going into the end of the day is going to be those FOMC minutes ahead of that uh, really important CPI inflation data for the US tomorrow. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks a lot.